All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Build Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hallman. Hey, make sure you're listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you hear. Please leave me a, what is the word I'm looking for? A recommendation, a review, a review. That's what I look for. Hey, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Arlen Ness Motorcycles. You can save 10% or see free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the discount code GarageBuild10 on all orders at ArlenNess.com. We are also brought to you by Bell Helmets USA. Follow their new Instagram page at bellhelmets underscore power to see the latest in helmet design and safety. See your local Bell Helmets dealer to order yours now. We're brought to you by Electric Lighting, top shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of industry leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the marketplace. Use the discount code SPEED2021 for free shipping in the USA 48 and all orders over $100 at namscustomcycleproducts.com or electriclighting.com. 1620 Workwear is premium made in the USA workwear that is guaranteed for life. That's what I wear here at Cycle Stop USA. Visit 1620usa.com, follow them on Instagram, and use the discount code SPEED2022, and you're going to save 20% at checkout. That is the biggest discount you can get. GarageBuild podcast listeners are one of only small group of people that get a 20% discount. So make sure you're following at 1620USA on Instagram. The High Seas Rally is coming to Port Canaveral this October 2022. 3,500 bikers on a cruise ship for one week for Caribbean ports. Follow the High Seas Rally on Instagram. Use your code SPEEDMETAL and save $100 on your cabin price. And the drink card is on us. Team Dream Rides in Maryville, Tennessee. Visit www.teamdreamrides.com or follow at Dream Rides Tennessee on Instagram. This episode, I am joined by my good friend, Jeff G. Holt, the V-Twin Visionary. We're going to talk about his 2022 tour, all those upcoming dates. So let's get this thing out of the garage. You're listening to the Garage Bill Podcast with your host, Jason Holman. I guess the best place to start is with the the RV life. So yeah. <laughs> so D- Daytona was like the that was the initial thing. You you had last the last two years you traveled. Um, you know, you're in this. You're in a spot. You're like you're a little bit ahead of where everybody else is thinking. You you, you kind of always are, especially when you when you launch VTV in twenty. I think it was twenty seventeen or was it twenty eighteen that you launched VTV? Twenty seventeen. That's right. It was kind of January ish where all that stuff went down, and uh, you just didn't miss a beat. And you know, I don't know uh, if I credit you with being the archetype of the pop up, what I call the pop up show. Where where did that kind of, where did that come from? Was that just out of necessity or did it just make sense? Or was it something you sat down and you're like, okay, 
I have an opportunity to, to rebrand the way everything goes down uh, on, because you and I both know that the baby boomers are cycling out, right? We see less and less of them. Yeah. We see a lot more right. trikes, you know, here at the shop level, I see fewer and fewer and they're being replaced by guys and gals that are spending money and doing new things with their bikes and that. But where did, where did that come from? Did you see a decline in what was going on in the events or did, was this just out of pure necessity? I pretty much, I wanted to do smaller shows when we, when we worked at hot bike, but they always really wanted to monetize those shows we were doing, you know, the FXR shows and the Dyna shows. And, and it wasn't, it was to the point where it wasn't really that fun. So, um, you know, being a, a kid that grew up in, you know, dirt lots, jumping BMX bikes and going to $5 punk rock shows or backyard punk rock shows in Anaheim, California, like I wanted to kind of do something with a feel like that, you know, kind of, and, and the first V2 visionary ones were like pretty much that same thing. Like we didn't, we didn't, this never told the city shit. We barely even told the bars we were having a motorcycle show at their bar. Like <laughs> right and did it like and then then you know i always had friends that that kind of knew what was up but like and it just morphed into into you know just doing it that way you know and it's really easy you know in the beginning first three years it's super easy to say hey you, you find a bar that it, that not necessarily is a, is a biker bar but biker friendly bar mm -hmm. with a big parking lot and we're like hey man you make all the money all we don't want is your parking lot you make all the money at the at the door you make all the money at the at the bar at the restaurant and we'll you know we'll charge people 20 bucks to, to show their bikes off here and that'll cover our gas to get there and then that has just grown into you know what we're doing now which is monumentally uh, huge <laughs> yeah so where do you where this is a this is going to be a, a not a tough thing to answer maybe but a it, it, it may not come off, may not have thought about it. I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? I mean, you know, um, there's still these juggernauts of venues that the only way they can pay for these giant pieces of property. And this goes for Daytona, Sturgis, Laconia, which I, I've kind of, I don't know. I haven't been to Laconia, so I can't say firsthand whether that's an event that has seen its apex already. Uh, I don't know if there's an opportunity for that to come back and be strong. I know that's arguably the the oldest motorcycle rally. Yeah. I, when we went last year, it, it was it was a bit dismal. But of course, you know, you're in the super northeast, and it was you know COVID was still kind of cranking up pretty heavy. So I mean, you know, I don't know. Like that was the only time I ever went there. Like I went there, I don't know, 20 years ago when it was kind of all right. Right. But last year you know it was on life support last year and there's people there that are trying to make a difference and there's people you know promoters and play people like that but i think they're really stuck against the old guard of of laconia and how it is you know and yeah. dealing with you know dealerships and their their the way they like to run their uh their campuses when they're doing things so i mean it's it's kind of a weird thing you know i think every rally and every event has its own flavor and some people rely on the past and other people really want to push the future. Yeah. And you seem to be, you know, I would put you in the category of like, Hey, we've done this already. This is what, this is something new. I, I feel, I kind of feel like you don't go into an event 
with every minute planned. I feel like you secure enough space to do what you think is going to happen and you kind of let things happen. Is that is that a fair is that a fair statement? I have, but as of this year, like I, I you know, dealing with dealing with uh with landowners and motorcycle companies and and uh insurance and and you know it once we're hitting these bigger you know our, our lot sizes the smallest show we do is is 125 by 70 now that's feet so with the rig and everything we can't just pull into everybody's parking lot and do these things now at that scale um with that said you know we do have to do a lot better planning before it was like yeah man like we'll get there we'll set up the tents Mm -hmm. you know whoever wants to be at the be at the event you know pay pay 100 200 bucks to to put your 10 by 10 up and and you know then we party and i start drinking at noon but those days are long gone you know um we, we ran into every greedy city's uh tax collection people as our booths were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and to the point where you know we had you know we were we were at one of a couple of the bigger rallies and there was packs people on each side of our tents just trying to charge people seven hundred dollars for for being for having their booth open for six hours do you because they were bending or they were they had you know a fucking t-shirt for sale i mean so what we did with the tour this year is we got uh, 120 feet of V-Twin Visionary tents, and it's all V-Twin Visionary, and the nobody's selling anything but us. So uh, everybody else just show, showing their stuff off, all of our sponsors and everything. So pretty much they don't have anybody to tax anymore. So they just tax us, and it's one big booth. And uh, that's actually, um, you know, even through Daytona, like they – they weren't very happy with that. So, I mean, it's just, you have to deal with so many layers of stuff. And now that this is getting bigger and bigger, you know, I just keep being the same, you know, broke ass punk rock kid who finds ways around rules and laws that are now a little more legal than they used to be when I was a kid. (laughs) Well, I mean, so do you think at what point, where's the, where's the pinch point where, so you have you have and i'm just gonna name a couple places right like venues like the buffalo chip venues like full throttle out the one that used to be the old county line uh broken spoke you have the steel pony uh in 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 sturgis so these are some large uh large scale properties that make their money off of campsites beer sales they usually provide some sort of entertainment um at what point do you feel that the antiquated system is going to either a kill the in the totality of the event, or is there going to be a point where you know the city elders are going to cycle out and some no, some younger, newer, more entrepreneurial thinking or um, more progressive or pragmatic people come in and say, okay, we've got to work with these companies, you know, these these smaller companies, or, or these events are going to go away. I, I feel like there was a, a lull in quality vendors and now i'm starting to see more people set up but like you said if they're going to tax the socks off them it's going to be a problem yeah and i mean that's that's the way it is you know like you know 
people don't have $700 to set up in one spot. And then the next day, you know, who, who's, how many, you know, how many t-shirts is that? How many like air cleaner covers is that? You know, like it's, you know, guys like Boosted Brad are already busting his ass to, to keep his business going. You know, he's a hustler, but you know, he can't sit up on main street, you know, at a $13,000 spot in Sturgis and, and, and make money. You know, and, and, you know, Sturgis is by and large, you know, like that is kind of the freak show. You know, people, people go there, half people there don't, don't even bring bikes or ride bikes now, you know, and right. it's just, it's a thing, you know, like, yeah, I, I want to go to Sturgis before I die. You know, I had a motorcycle or I would have wished to have a motorcycle and you see that and, you know, a lot there. You know, it's you see more people selling, you know, spangly pants and sewing on patches than selling, you know, a bunch of stuff for years. But now, you know, if you want a D and D exhaust or you know something a good quality product, they're there now too. So I mean, I think it's kind of, kind of, um, it's been bookended now with with people wanting to be at these events and companies wanting to sell them quality stuff. And I think that we're going to be seeing that a lot more. Um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these smaller guys who were, you know, cottage industry guys, you know, um, just building stuff in their garage, you know, that they've kind of have moved into small shops now or big shops. And now they're, they're going to be the next level of, of, uh, you know, what we're buying, what we're consuming as, as performance and custom motorcycle people, you know, we, we don't rely on Chinese bolt on crap anymore because it's still stuck in the ocean. Are you, are you optimistic about the, the totality of our aftermarket industry or, and, and I know there's a, you have to, you do have to, you know, I know you're always going to be honest with, with me and I know you're always going to sure. give me a good answer, but you know, the factory is building a much more complete bike, if you will, than what they did say yeah. 10 years ago. Do you feel like, are you optimistic about the, the, the mar aftermarket as a whole? And what I mean by that is, is, you know, you have Arlen Ness is a good example of a company that moves with the times. They cycle out their product. They only keep things around that are, that are actually, you know, uh, you know, like their Arlen Ness side covers for an FXR. Those are going to be around for the foreseeable future. But right. the Arlen Ness yeah. FXR struts, they're never going to make those again. If they were going to make them right. again, they would have made them three, four years ago when the FXR boom happened again, right? right? Which I see that kind of cycling down a little bit too, especially with this FXR Friends throwdown that they've got going on. I, I feel like this is kind of not the beginning of the end, but the beginning of the end of what they're doing, what we're doing right now in the industry, because guys like, Danny Wilson and Nick Trask and, you know, uh, Pete Nowoski are pushing the envelope on performance with the M8 so much that it's really going to make the twin cam the Evo of our day. But are you, but you have guys like Justin Page, um, who my machinist that yeah. is working out of his garage has a CNC and it's a business. He's a professional. He does everything to, to spec and he, he does a really great job. Do you see, companies like that being able to cycle scale up are you optimistic about that or do you think it's better for people to kind of stay cottage i think it's i think you know it, it, people you know as the human you know archetype model of the human being is they always want to do better you know the being complacent is not really a human trait right um, <laughs> i know what you mean uh, you, 
you see guys definitely like you know my machinist and boosted brad and um you know forever rad and and all these other new dudes to some people but these guys have been putting in work you know I'm, i've known most of these dudes a decade right you know you, you see like um rob at sbc performance like that dude's had a motorcycle shop for 20 something years you know and you know and he that guy is amazing man you know he's a good friend of mine now but like that guy learned how to program his own cnc machine he learned to weld because he wanted to build bars crash bars mm-hmm. he um, you know like the guy is he's an amazing dyno tuner engine builder you know he builds 200 horsepower you know 160 180 200 horsepower bikes on the regular and you know he's he had a shop you know and now he just does it out of a shed next to his house and he's busier than he's ever been so i mean you know i think that you can do it like guys like justin my machinist where you have low overhead and you're shipping parts anyways you know like most people don't buy parts from shops anymore unless it's a really reputable business which you know well you know, people don't, people don't mind buying shit and waiting you know a month and a half to get the stuff and then they'll take it to their local bike shop and have it bolted on yeah so i wanted to segue into that and, and you you kind of you you went there um organically I feel as the owner of a brick and mortar motorcycle shop that I'm, I'm taking, you know, uh, I, I'm getting shelled constantly by internet, you know, uh, you know, I think here's my personal opinion of this. And I know this is an unfavorable opinion. It's also an unpopular opinion, but maybe you're, you're always wise with me with, with good advice and, and, and good words. So I'll just put the question out there publicly I think that starting out with discount codes and and everybody trying to sell the product, gain the business based off of price as a race to the bottom. And what I mean by that is, is when someone comes into my shop, I enjoy the process of spending time with them at the front counter. And when somebody marginalizes that or completely dismisses it, I, I take it on the chin, but it I, I have to tell you, it sours my it sours me. Well, it's, and it should, I mean, you got to realize, you know, I used to, I worked at and co-owned independently owned bicycle shops in the late eighties, early nineties, when they started having these huge bicycle mail order houses. Right. And it was the same exact thing. I mean, everybody's, everybody's fucked now because the way the Amazon prime is. Right. I mean, you know, I look around and, you know, I could order from the manufacturer, but if I don't know who the manufacturer is, there's no safety net of when I'm going to get my shit. You know, if I order on Amazon, there's a huge safety net. Agreed. So, I mean, you know, and that's, that's kind of, and, and buying habits are, are, you know, it differs from person to person, but, you know, I was actually talking to Rob at SBC about this, you know, as far as componentry and, and things. And it's always based. I learned this firsthand in the bicycle and then doing marketing and, and, BMX and skateboards and, and action sports stuff too. It's like first people f- figure out a company, you know, they find, they stumble onto a company and they're like, Oh, who the hell is this? And they kind of look at their products and then they, they kind of, you know, they jump onto whatever else is trusted. Then they, then they run across that brand again and they're like, Oh shit, they're not out of business. And they're like, Oh, they must be doing all right. And then maybe the third or fourth time they, they come in contact with this entity or company they buy something right and it, 
if and if you think about the way you look and you personally a guy that owns a brick and mortar business and a guy that is pretty wise with shopping and, and stretching a buck like you are your buying habits are exactly that way really similar and and i find that to be 90 percent of the people with that said you know now people are because of easy returns and because of you know you know having things in stock usually you know like a1 mike he won't sell anything unless it's in stock he won't pre-sale he won't do anything man and i think that that's going to be the wave of the future that's a wise um, that's a wise decision yeah don't back order yeah, something people are just sitting you know and it sucks because all of these guys that i talked about the aforementioned companies these dudes are struggling to get their hard parts to, or, you know, their, their materials to build their hard parts. Um, you know, if they have to go offshore, we all know there's a big issue with that. Um, so, I mean, this is a real, this is a time where, where guys who, um, a own businesses like yourself and guys who own, you know, who may be vendors of yours really have to buckle down and understand their business and how it, how they could stretch their dollars and their use of time to excel. And I think that that's been kind of the number one thing during COVID people have been really, you know, working with and for. That's been the only blessing that I see from, from all of this was that it slowed everybody down. It emptied out a lot of coffers, a lot of shelves, everything got sold to the back of the, to the back of the wall. And, uh, it, it really created a, uh, of, of a value of what parts are, are worthwhile to have, what parts are worth, not worthwhile to have, what parts you need to not run out of, you know, I mean, it really made us think when, when I got home from, from Daytona last year, Amanda had spent, I don't know, she had bought over a hundred tires and I came back to stacks that were you know six and eight feet tall of tires and i'm like we're never going to sell these what did you do and now you're the only guy in the whole state that has tires yeah and then we were in and we were for a minute and then we you know and then of course because of my obstinance we 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 ran out of certain certain skews you know trying to get a 180 55 18 last september was like trying to find rocking horse shit, you know, it was next yep. to impossible but you know you live and you learn but i've always been so lean because I've always been kind of where the cash poor shop, you know, so it's, I make sure we have tires, tubes, you know, our balance product, uh, you know, oils, filters, and brake pads, you know, and everything else right. we kind of order in. And now that we have this big shop, I really find that we want to impress people when they come in. So when I go to another shop, that's the thing I'm looking for. I'm, I, I enjoy going to other people's bike shops because I want to learn something. When you go to John Jessup's shop, in Tennessee, when you look at a guy that knew nobody in that town, had no history in that town, opened a shop. I mean, that guy took a giant chance and he's absolutely okay. killing it. And it's a beautiful shop and he's doing well. And I'm super happy for him. And so my answer to anybody that wants to know if they can have a bike shop, you absolutely can. If you, if you do the right work and have the right stuff and the right people. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Look at San Diego Customs, and and you know their shop is amazing. Like it's super cool, well curated. They have it full of parts. They're always doing work. Like 
you know, that, 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 uh, you know, they're the Kings of San Diego. Like, you know, they've shut down other shops because they're so good, you know? And right. Like, it's cool to see. And, you know, hope, hopefully I think that, you know, a lot of guys are, are becoming like single business operators, maybe in their garage in a small shop. And hopefully they'll be able to grow into being like that, you know? Right. Um, one of the things that you, that you're credited with, um, being that you were at the helm of, you know, some, some very large titles for, for a very long time was, um, I call it King making, but you, you shed light, you were able to shed light on, uh, some guys that if you're, you know, when you and I were riding BMX in the eighties, you know, you had the, the benefit of, you could go down to Huntington beach and ride and you'd see Eddie Fiola and Martin and RL and those guys. And you would go to the tracks on the weekend and you'd see Chris Moeller and uh, Brian Foster and those dudes. Right. But I, I lived in Michigan. So once a month, you know, we got a magazine, right? There wasn't the internet, you know, when Haro right. came out with a, with a, with, with a stunt riding video, everybody, you know, we all, we all bought it and we'd go to each other's houses and watch that Haro stunt riding video. And then we'd go out in the, in the, in the street and try to reenact it. Um, so, but the internet allows you to kind of find exactly what you're looking for, exactly how you want to consume it. So when you're creating content for V twin visionary, what what are you looking for in that? Are you looking for something that absolutely blows your skirt up, or do you? I mean, how how big of a wormhole do you do you go down to be to, to be <laughs> as strong as you are on the internet, to be as strong as you are on social media, and, and managing several different platforms? What is your scientific approach to that, or is it an organic approach? And and how much time do you spend doing that? It's. I mean, I'll tell you right now, it's super organic. Like it's just something that I I love to do something that you know i i i always love to to find new cool shit i you know i i kind of have this curse where i'm about a year and a half ahead of everybody so like i'll throw stuff up that i think super cool and it it gets like you know 50 likes but then two years later a year later it's like the shit so like you know i mean you gotta remember dude i was like probably one of the first if not the first person to put baja designs lights on a bike in an right. MXR fairing. Yep. Like, I mean, I did that in 2014. Like, <laughs> and people were like, that light's big, ugly, and dumb. And it's too bright. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, okay, whatever. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's weird, you know, and, and some of the stuff is dumb after two years. Uh, luckily, I, I, I'm pre I got a pretty good track record that the people that I shed light on and the components that they make or the things they do you know they they make a good living out of it after that you know and and I'm, I, I, some of those people are still my friends some of those people aren't like you know you find out real quick right uh when you take a dip in your life who who's there for you and who's not you know and i, I don't care either way dude like i'm not in this fucking industry to make friends like i like hanging out with people and I have a ton of great friends, you know, hundreds of great friends and thousands of great friends the world over that I can stay at their house or hang out with them, go for rides, go to their businesses. But I mean, you know, if, if you enter a business to make friends, it's uh, you're doing it for the wrong fucking reasons. You know, you, you do it to make a living and and have a good time with yourself and your and your and your small group and your family. Yeah. And make and, yourself uh, happy. Yeah. 
And I mean, that's what I do. And, you know, luckily, I, you know, to get back to your question is, I guess, I guess I have a pretty good picker when it comes to cool shit and, and being a little ahead of the curve. And, you know, I, I can pat myself on the back knowing that through, uh, you know, the test of time has proven that on, on uh, that and not, I'm not bragging. So. No. Um, what responsibility do you feel you have being that you, um, you know, you have this, you have this V2 visionary that's, you know, we're, we're well into it. We're five years, we're over five years into it now. And you've got a proven track record of putting on great events, including as many, as many people as you can. You're, you're not, you're not disclusionary in any way, shape or form. What responsibility do you have to vendors, sponsors, and showgoers, like explain how your relationship varies in those three in those three areas. I mean, for me, showgoers are, are the number one thing. Um, show entrants and the people that come out to my shows they're they're number one. Without them, I couldn't get sponsors. I couldn't be on the road. Um, and you know, just making their experience good. And and you know, as you you've heard all my speeches, I mm-hmm. you know before we do the awards, I thank everybody for coming out, and I thank everybody for the jobs they do. And you know, even if you're a, a HVAC guy that has a you know hundred thousand dollar bike you built in your garage, or you're a pro business owner who has you know several hundred thousand dollar bikes, you know, and you build them and sell them and use my, you know, use my shows to sell your bikes. Like I'm, I'm cool with all that. Don't get me wrong. Cause I, nothing else happens, you know, unless I have, you know, a hundred bikes in a, in a, in a lot and, you know, a thousand or, or 2000 people walking around them. Um, you know, it, it, so that is number one. Um, and then of course, you know, being from, from BMX and skate, you know, having the best sponsors in the game always, you know, always shooting for the number one sponsors. And I mean, you know, all of our shows are presented by Harley Davidson. So it doesn't, you know, we, we, we already hit that mark and, you know, what, where to go from here is kind of not uh, anywhere, but more, you know, that's why we started the USA tour. You know, it's, it was a funny way that it started indeed, you know, like Maggie and I were at an airport and we, got bumped off the flight and then the other flight got canceled and i and i was like man and it kind of happened a lot last year even though a lot of people weren't flying because right. a lot of people weren't flying planes pilots were out and everything else so we just i just i was like i can't do this anymore like we're gonna i gotta figure out another way or i'm not gonna do it and um then we were at uh road atlanta last year and um roland sands invited me over to his pit and frankie garcia who's a really really good friend of mine for a long time um we just we were hanging out you know a couple days before the races and drinking beer and i went and i sat in their uh their race toy hauler and i was like man like it was theirs is like balling out you know and i was like man this thing's bad so I took a bunch of videos and photos of it and, and sent Maggie the text. And I was like, we're going to, we're going to buy one of these. We're going to, we're just going to live in it next year. Or I didn't say that. I was like, we're just going to buy it and do this and do, you know, all the, all the events next year. Then it uh, had, you know, then it got, it, it snowballed from there, dude. Well, and it allows you to, it allows you to kind of take, um, I don't know. One thing, there's a couple things that I've always noticed about you. One, uh, you've I've never seen you 
I have never seen you in it. And we've been friends a long time now. I've never seen yeah. you upset. I've never seen you mad. I've never seen you lose your shit. I've never seen you be obnoxious. I've never, you, you're very even tempered. You, you have it under control. And I can't say that about myself. And I can't say that about everybody else that, that works and does what we do. It'll, this allows you to have kind of a home where you have somewhere where you can go be by yourself for a minute. You can take your dog yeah. with you. You can have, you guys all have, you have a family, you have children, both you and Maggie. So there's a potential for, for that as well. So I think it's, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. And I think it makes sense. So besides just being a step in the right direction for you, it makes sense that it shows the arc of, of the growth of what you guys went through because the toy hauler you had before didn't allow you to, to take the show you have on the road. It, no, I mean, we, you know, we had a uh, Ford transit, which I still love. We actually are, we're trading it in this week. So it's kind of a somber time for me. Um, and then <laughs> we had the 20 foot toy hauler. And now, you know, we have, we have a, a Ford F four fifty dually and we'll have a F three fifty dually as well. And I mean, you're not dumb. You know how much those things cost. I do know. Even yeah. with a discount through Ford being associated with us, they're still not, uh, they're not free or cheap. Um, luckily, uh, through uh, Tammy and John, who are the marketing people at Rockford Fosgate, I met Brad White of Rally White um, RV. RV. And um, he's really tight with Genesis Supreme and Vortex, who build arguably the best toy haulers out there and through the relationship they have the the rally white team has with genesis we procured a two-year gift of this motor of this uh, rv toy hauler and i think that that was pretty much the uh the thing that lit the fire for the tour and you know we're going to be in phoenix for two more weeks and then we're out for good all of our stuff gets put in storage and sold and everything else. And um, we're on the road for, for uh, one year for sure. Um, I'm pretty much saying that we'll be on the road for two years before we do it, before we, before we uh, settle down anywhere else. And we've been looking for land and, and whether we're going to do, um, do our own, you know, 10 or 15 acres where maybe we have our own event once or twice right. a year somewhere in the middle of the United States. So everybody can come or just a fucking farm by a Creek where I, I don't have to stop, talk to anybody for stops <laughs> I'm at in between there. So, I mean, we, we have a place in uh, Macon, Georgia, my partner, Dave Rowe and his wife um, have a really nice place in Macon right outside of Macon. And, um, we can stay, we stay there for about a week at a time until the, the association starts sending Dave emails and then we got to take off. So we have a place to sit there. And then also, uh, our good friends at Rad Flags, Kent and Lisa, they have a, they have a big place out of, out of town in uh, Oklahoma that we stay at too. So, I mean, and everybody in the world's wanted me to come by and see them and, and stop there. And I was like, Hey man, you know, people keep always sending me photos of 50 amp service boxes that they're putting in their houses <laughs> right. so we can stay with them. It's pretty cool. And I mean, you're one of them, you know, yeah. you have 50 amp service for us too. So, um, it's crazy when you're, you know, like I'm looking at our schedule now and it starts March 9th and ends November 12th. 
So, um, well, that's a, that's a good place to, to jump off the next subject that I wanted to talk about, because I remember, I remember when the V2 visionary was first introduced and it was, Hey, you know, it was, it was going to be this, uh, it was going to be a, a perfect place to find out where you were going to be, what was going on. Um, you kind of brought everybody together in one place. And then there was the V twin visionary tour. It had like seven stops and it was nine stops. And now it has like, you have like 22 stops or something. Do you not? Yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, it's everywhere. It's, you know, we do. Jesus, you're like Buck Cherry or something, dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, man. Um, you know, we, we did a deal with Moto America this year in Harley as well. So we're at all six of those now doing shows, which is really cool because they're on the infield in the fun zone area, mm-hmm. the Harley Park areas. And if you're part of the show, all you do is ride up to the VTV tent out front. You get a wristband for that day free and you get to ride in and drop your bike off at our bike show and have a lot of fun and, see some bagger racing going down so i mean it's 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 a really cool element that i was super stoked to be able to bring to to uh people that that have performance and and custom show bikes you know to be able to go to these races you know they're they're everywhere where you know they're they're in wisconsin atlanta i mean milwaukee new jersey california so i mean like they're in a bunch of places where we kind of wouldn't really be unless we're going to be there for that so for me not going back to the same places every year um, is really cool. And being partnered up with Moto America and Harley on this thing is super cool. Like on one side of us is, is, uh, is uh, unknown industries doing shows the whole time. Nice. The other side of us is, you know, monster energy has a cool thing going on with trucks and dirt bikes and every other and, and street cars and everything else. So like being part of this crazy circus, is is super badass for me you know we're legitimizing custom motorcycles you know every weekend and you're also bringing them up to you know there was you know it wasn't that long ago that there was there was a few of us still doing the custom motorcycle thing but there wasn't even a lot of people it didn't seem like there was a lot of people doing a whole lot of stuff with motorcycles for a minute and and then you know and then we saw we saw on the the demise of most of the print media and 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 that for for whatever reason i you know i think the internet kind of helped kill a lot of that stuff but now we're seeing you know we're seeing a resurgence of um yeah people like you that are you're still bringing us the same content you're still creating the content um but you're giving us giving everybody a place to do it too that's important yeah i mean that's what i really wanted to do you know, like I, I don't exclude anybody on, on anything, man. Photographers are probably, photographers come up to me every single event. Is it okay if I take pictures here? Can I, can I, I was like, you can do whatever you want. Like we're out in the some fucking parking lot. Like it would be empty if it wasn't for all of us coming together at these things. Like, you know, I, I'm not exclusionary on, on anything that I do. Like the more the merrier, you know, like. You know, Indian, I'm sure, feels a little shunned by me because, you know, Harley came in with the biggest bat ever and supported me when nobody was going to support me. <laughs> and, you know, they, they legitimized v and Visionary, you know, just as quick as all the other people that are our sponsors, you know. And I just, it's uh, it's been a very fortunate thing, but, you know, it has been a lot of work, you know, and, and finding, you know, cool people like Baron Yeager to work with. And yeah, you know, I noticed that, that you've been somebody that I, you know, I was going to bring that up that in your feed, 
you know, the other day you were, uh, it was, it was, I'd have to pull up my phone, but it was, I believe you were introducing a, a pistol that you liked. Yeah. Um, Ruger, a PC nine. Uh, I'm going to be doing some stuff with Taurus as well. I'm not really brand specific on, on my weaponry, but, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, people have reached out, uh, Remington. Um, I just, an old friend of mine from way back in the day who was the uh, marketing guy for Olean's is now the marketing guy for Benelli shotguns. So, I mean, I'm going to work talking to him on stuff. I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm a, I'm a gigantic gun nut. I'm a, I'm a alcohol fucking fan. You know, um, <laughs> I love food. Like, yeah. We have a, you know, the guys at Raleigh white, they, they were cool enough to bolt on a Traeger and a Blackstone to the back of our uh, trailer. So we can set up and cook. Um, we're actually going to cook for all the employees at Dixon Flannel Company this week, just as a thank you for uh, just everybody over there is great people. And, and, you know, just kind of a thank you. So we'll be doing that. And we've got a bunch of other weird shit planned this year too. Like we'd be doing um, dealer drop-ins, which is kind of a deal. Um, all of our sponsors have thrown in, swag for a goodie bag and right. when we go into independent bike shops or even harley dealers the you know the guys we give them one big bag for all the all the people in there divvy up whatever stuff they want out of it it's a bunch of keychains a lot of koozies um some bottle openers and a rubber duck and you know a bunch of cool shit and then a bunch of information on these companies that maybe some of these gms and 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 the the uh parts guys have never heard of you know in the in the midwest or on the east coast so um you know we're doing that and then we're actually doing um a thing called v2 visionary shop stop where we stop by people's shops whether they're independent bike shop or we just stop by throttle therapy shot a small video there um, you know, we'll be visiting a bunch of, uh, builders this year, just kind of in between the show stops. And then we'll be, you know, doing videos and, and I'm actually going to kick off a podcast this year, finally right. from the, from the trailer. Um, and then we have another whole thing where we're doing bike nights at dealerships. And that is like, uh, the dealerships, of course, pay us to show up. And, of course, with the gas prices, it just got increased. Sure. But say you, you own a Harley dealer or your shop and you give us, you know, the specified money, amount of we, money. We show up and we have, you know, we show up with 75 feet of our 125 feet deal. All of our sponsors, it's like a mini version of what we do at Sturgis Daytona. Um at Tennessee as well. So it's something really cool. And, and we have a bike night and we have a bike show with awards and everything else. So it's kind of a, a cool, you know, 12 hour deal and we'll be cooking at those as well. So it's really cool, you know, just kind of keeping it, I, I'm trying to keep it fun and real and, and, and not, you know, we have a lot of big sponsors that are, you know, million and billion dollar year corporations and, and we're still just keeping it experiential and fun and, and, you know, DIY and punk rock. Cause that's the only way I know how to do it. Yeah. So that was a good, that's my next question was, so at what point does V twin vision and, and I know, I think I know what the answer is, but I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. You know, you have, you have a very solid partnership with Dave Rowe. Um, I think the world to him, he's, he's definitely 
got he's very grounded in, in what he what he does with vtv um yeah, he definitely I balances you out perfectly <laughs> but yeah it, i mean you know it, between you know it's a three-prong attack you know maggie's a full-time employee and she does literally all the shit work that i won't do and that dave doesn't want to do right so i mean she's she's a fucking champ dude so um you know i i get to live and work with my best friend and, and my wife. And it's, it's a dream come true on that, but you know, it's, it's uh Dave Rose, the man, and, and we're going to keep growing and, and, and doing what we do. And it's always going to be weird. <laughs> well, yeah, what is the, what is the, so what is the growth potential of a company like V twin visionary when, I mean, it, it, it seems limitless that it could be an ad agency. It could be a media company. It could be a video company. It could be a production company. Um, is there a point where it's like, you know what? We want it to be, you know, manageable with X number of people. We like it the way it is. Cause you've scaled up year after year after year. At what point do you go like, okay, it's big enough. Cause we're not getting any younger, but when is it big enough? When is it, you know, when is it, what you what you envisioned okay so you're the v twin visionary what have you envisioned for it where where's where's your have you have you picked a point yet or are you just going down the road um i, I really haven't picked a point like this year is really fucking monumental for me just being able to do exactly what i want to do be exactly where i want to be like it's i mean for me that's success I, i'm not rolling in dough i pretty much put all the money I make back in the gas tank after I pay my kids child support and all the insurance on all these fucking trucks and everything. Right. And, um, you know, I don't, I, the, the, I'm at the point where this is going to be my life till I'm dead. Um, you know, we're going to be doing these and then, you know, learning stuff from Dan Dreyer at Dixon, you know, being able to hire and delegate when your company is, is kind of, you know, growing to pretty high levels of potential. Not that I'm trying to compare myself to Dixon Flannel Company at all. No, no, no. I get but it. But there's a lot to be taken away from that. He's had the way that he has grown his business from him and a couple of friends to, you know, not having those friends anymore because, you know, business growth and this and that and the other. And, and, you know, that stuff hurts, you know, and, and I've, you know, I've had some friends fall along and business partners fall along the wayside as well you know, with the collective shit that I, I tried to do that she last or the last year, you know, and right. got out of that to live on the road and, you know, people got butthurt and whatever, but, um, like, it's just that way, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta have your prime directive. And for me, it's just, it's doing more of this. And like I said, we'll be hiring and delegating, you know, I'll probably do, like I said, two years on the road with this and then I'll, I'll, I'll probably, I mean, my dream is to get, a sprinter van with a motorcycle in it and a bed, you know, a, a well provisionized fucking one. And then hiring a professional truck driver. And probably after this two years, we're probably going to have to buy like a renegade and a stacker. Right. Um, we're going to, we're running out of room already in that 43 foot motorhome <laughs> or uh, our, yeah, RV. RV. So it's been, uh, it, the toy hauler is like already matched out. Like we're, we're stacking boxes as high as we can in there and we can still barely get two bikes in there and, and all the, all the merch that we sell. And, and, you know, like I said, 120, 125 feet of fucking easy ups is, is, and you know, there's an eight foot table under each one of those easy ups and, 
you know, that's uh, that kind of stuff is, uh, has been actually kind of fun to, uh, to devise and do, but, um, like for the bigger shows, we'll, we'll have the other, we'll have the other, uh, the F-350 out with, the um, with a, a gooseneck trailer with, with bikes and everything. So, so we're already using. Yeah, you're already you're already multi you're already got multi multi things going on. So let's fast forward to August of this year. Uh, I know that you know obviously there's we talked about the the several more to- tour dates than what you'd had previously, and that it's a monumental you know undertaking that you you've taken on this year. What does Sturgis look like for you? Last year you had two shows. You had one in Deadwood. You had one we had in three downtown. Three shows because we actually produced one for Rockford Fosgate, their batter show. Okay, I was not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I wasn't even aware of that. But where, yeah. uh, where, where are you going to fit that giant enormity uh, and still pull off all the things you need to do? So I, I, I can't talk about where we're going to be at Sturgis the whole time, but yes, we will be back at Outlaw Square in. Um, in Deadwood for the Speed and Style show, okay. and then we will be back in uh, Sturgis at the Rally Point takeover, like last year. With, okay, uh, you know they'll close off street and have unknown do their thing again, and then we'll be at, we'll be doing both of those. But there's going to be a spot where we're going to be set up with all of our uh, sponsors and partners all week long, um, and it's someplace everybody knows there, and it's not a campground. Right on. It's not so. It's 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 as soon as as soon as we announce it, I'll, I'll people are going to trip out because it's going to be super cool. Well, I I mean everything so far that you've done. I mean it's funny when you you mentioned earlier that you had you know there's been people that have come that have passed through um, this this process of of growth that you went through the last six years. And there's people people that come in and they come and they go and you see them again and and that and and it's funny when you step back at it like I can and just look at yeah. the arc of how it goes. And it's really, you hit that hockey stick. There's a book called Blue Ocean and it talks about business growth. And in there, it, it compares it to a hockey stick where it's like slow growth and then explodes straight up. And right. the, it's not necessarily, I'm not even talking about revenue or success or money or anything. I'm talking about the actual, the amount of work that you're being allowed to do like that, that to me, that's what success is. Success is the amount of work that other people are allowing you to do, you know, and right. th- you are the one that, that start, you're the archetype for the pop-up show. And now you're the archetype for, um, you know, you definitely lead the charge on, on how to govern yourself on a social media thing. You know, you have the step and repeat. You were the first one to kind of you didn't, when someone sent you a product, you made sure you, you went right out there, you put the video up, it's up there. It's kind of that product has to go on its own merit. You know, if you put it in front of 50,000 right. people on, a, on an Instagram feed and hashtag it properly, uh, it's kind of on the product and the producer of that product to see where that goes. And, and that's how I feel right. about social media. I mean, thank God for analytics, right? When you look at the job that you and Dave did back when you were at um, the magazine companies, it was really hard to get, there was no <laughs> analytics, right? I mean, you remember when we were kids no. and in the back of BMX plus, it would be like, you could order this, but put, you know, put this code on, on the envelope, like, you know, BMX plus, you know, 08, 
you know, eight, nine, meaning that from the August 89 issue that got to your house yep. and you ordered from that. Right. right. But if, if you didn't write that on the envelope, they didn't know where you got that from. Yeah. Like even, even like at the very end of the, the, the turn of the magazine thing, like you didn't get proper analytics for seven months. And that was in the age of, of, you know, everything. Like I was like, they, they fucked up so bad. You know, and it wasn't that publishing company. It was everyone. I was like, you already know there's, it's already computerized. How many issues are at what locations? Why right. can't you just put that on the website? Well, I think that, you know, I've, I've had, I've had a crash course in, in that industry in the last year. And one of the things that I learned is that there is a waste factor built into everything that 75% of all of the product gets wasted yeah, man. And, like, you know, and I, then I everything's done this, on the honor system. Diatribe, dude. Yeah. I have this <laughs> diatribe about that, which we've talked about. Sure. You know, but I mean, the, it, ink, the dead trees and just the amount of fucking waste, like is, is staggering. And it really, it, it really makes sense when you, when you step back and you look at the ability to be dynamic and in, in the fluidity of, the internet, if it's properly utilized and, and wielded in a in a in a kind and in thoughtful manner towards the product yep. and towards the consumer, you can really bring a lot of people in into one space. And and as much as I complain about people buying stuff on the internet, I have to buy stuff on the internet and do buy stuff on the internet. You know? Yeah, I mean that's the way it is, dude. I mean that's that's the world we're in. And people go on into your shop and people go onto my feed because they know that we're experienced people in the, in the market and in this realm and they can, they can take our word for it. And that's where, that's where you can monetize on that. And that's where I have, you know? Right. Well, in, in there should be, you know, I wish people would pay more attention to that sometimes than to, how many likes and shares they get on their own stuff. Like I've had to learn over the la the course of the last year, don't read the comments. Don't, you know, <laughs> only, only look at the analytics to give back to your, to your sponsors. And you know, there's, there's, there's a lesson in that. And that's something that, um, that you've experienced for the last 20 years plus. You know? Yeah. I mean, the more you put yourself out there, the more, the more it's going to sting and you just got to not, I just don't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> your fuck meter you ran out of it a long time ago. Yeah, man, my fuck meter just blew up. So I mean, that's kind of the deal, and you know, not, not, you know, some days, some days it gets to you, and other days, most days, I still just don't give a shit. So like, it's hard, you know. Like, and but you know, I put myself out there. I'm putting, you know, my my, you know my thoughts and, and what I think of things. And, you know, it, it gets super twisted. You know, I throw up, if I throw up two parts from one guy in a month, all the other parts guys are like, well, that fucking guy must be paying Jeff Holt a bunch of fucking money. And, oh, Jeff Holt won't do anything unless you give him a fucking hundred dollars. It's like, dude, you send me a product I posted for free. Like, if you don't already know that, you're fucking retarded. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's. If you want to send me something to install, cool. You know, if I have to shoot, if I'm shooting a half hour video on installation of it and you want to use it for your purposes, of course, you're going to fucking pay. I mean, what do you think I'm an idiot? Like, come on, man. Like, but all in all, you know, and, and, and I really, 
with the people that I work with and, and with people that want to send things in for me to, to either do a product video or a review or a thousand miles thrash test on, like they get, you know, they get Dave Rose sends them a, a fact sheet and they ha they understand it and everything else. But yeah, I mean, on the outside looking in, you know, oh, I just did all these free bikes and, you know, all I do is, is put a bunch of people's parts on them and sell them. Well, guess what, dude? I got a warehouse full of motorcycles I haven't sold. So. I don't flip anything. I'm the worst flipper ever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we go back uh, several years to one of the first podcasts, if not the first one that you and I did together, we talked about um, a semi, a, a container full of BMX stuff that you don't even know what kind yeah. of condition it's still in yet. Yeah, you, you're like a, you're like an organized hoarder, right? Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> like, like. Um, to the point where like, my, every time I talk to my father, because I have two 20-foot containers in there, one of them's filled with fucking Dyna and FXR parts and takeoff parts of all the bikes I built, and the other the other 20-foot containers full of OG BMX bikes and and tool and fucking all the tools that I had when I had a bicycle shop. So like, it's pretty crazy. I could open, I could probably open up a fucking vintage BMX shop that would you know make me a very rich man any given time <laughs> well i think but you're I'm, you're a rich man just based on order yeah organized I'm order die and, i'm gonna die and fucking maggie's gonna have to sell all this shit for pennies on the dollar yeah it got <laughs> she'll, she'll have to call all of us to find out what any of it's worth <laughs> she already has, has a list of people call, and you're on it <laughs> well so the last thing I mean, I'll, we'll go ahead <laughs> I mean, it's just the way I am. And, and what's funny is I didn't used to be that way. Like when I first started working at the magazines, I would sell all the takeoff parts and then, or give them away. Right. And then I would build another bike and eight months later, I'd need half those fucking parts. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? So now I just keep it all. That's not really working out. Um, I wanted to touch on before we, we run out of time and, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of keep this run an hour for you. It was, I want to talk about the bag of racing. So we had last year, we had two competitive organizations uh, without going into too, too, too much of the specifics that I know both of you and I are aware of, or at least, you know, what was said was said or done or what that is the bagger racing league. How do you see structurally? Like I can remember when I was a drag racer, there was the IHRA and the NHRA, the NHRA was the big boys and the IHRA were still pros and still made a living out of it, but it was more of a sportsman type thing. Do you see a space for both of these organizations to continue and to do that? Or do you, and, and I know without, I mean, not being mean or anything, but, or do you feel like, look, there's, there's only room right now for, for the one and everybody should try to focus on one or the other. No, no, I think, I think, you know, the more the mayor, you got to remember there used to be in BMX, there's the ABA and the NBL and, you know, the ebb and flow of both of those always, you know, one year somebody was huge and then the other guys, and they, the, everybody's tracks were taking over all NBL and no ABA. And, and I think, you know, I would like to see both of them do well. Um, you know, the bottom line is you, it's going to be almost impossible for, for uh you know uh, the brl to be at the level of moto america just because moto america every time they throw an event it's a celebration of all things racing motorcycles they're not just you know so you you get to come to this festival atmosphere and see you know 
Japanese and European motorcycles going 200 miles an hour. And then you get to see the rad bagger stuff. And then, you know, you get to see Roland's things as well. And I think with only limiting it to V-twin only, it it's uh, you're, you're kind of casting into a small pond. But I mean, I, I think that on the flip side of that, the BRL is definitely more accessible for, for guys that don't have a lot of money or a team behind them or anything else to cut their teeth and, and ride. And that's, that's a much needed thing for, I think both of the, both associations to, to have a feeder system to the big leagues. That was kind and, of, that know, was the I, direction I, I was thinking we were going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it, both of them, I don't know, man, anytime you have shit, you know, any, any, fucking thing these days everybody takes a side on it everything's fucking polarized which is i fucking hate it can you just be lukewarm on something for once no i like, yeah both of them are great no big fucking deal and like everybody's polarized everybody's pointing fingers oh these guys are these guys and that guy's that guy you know and especially when it comes what i loved god damn it man i spent fucking four nights a week at a bmx track for fucking 10 15 years of my life right when I got into fucking Harleys, there was no competition except building your bike different than the other guys. And I loved that. There was no fucking race people. There were no fucking, you know, and then I worked in the bicycle industry and I was a tire guy. So all these dudes who thought they were the fastest guys and they thought they deserved better tires than the other guys. and You know, just this whole fucking dog shit of competition. And I thought I got away with, uh, away from all that shit till this BRL thing and Moto America thing came back and half of me loves it and half of me doesn't like it at all. Um, so I'm kind of, I mean, I love going to the events, but dealing with athletes and racers is not my fucking favorite thing. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, it can definitely, oh. it can definitely lend itself to, uh, you know, sometimes, um, I think I saw it on a meme or something. It was like, you know, sometimes the, it's the, the problem is the, the ear that you, put the information into I'm, I'm trying to articulate it out like you know if somebody's going to sit and listen to you bitch and piss and moan about something you kind of have to consider why they're doing that right there has right. To, there's some intent there too right and and you're right you know i have tried i've told you before and you and i have been good enough friends now for long enough that you know what my toxic trait is my toxic trait is i want i want all my friends to get along and and i've i've had to learn especially in the last year that that's not always going to happen um <laughs> no but it's never going to, it's never going to deter me from, from trying to make it happen because my friends are important to me. You know, um, friends are the, the friends that I keep, you know, are the guys that, you know, you get to pick that family, right? You get to, it's like a draft and you get to pick the ones that, that, that light up the room when, when they walk in and make you feel good. And you know who these people are when you see somebody and you know, the thing I love about our friendship and, and this is what I'll close on is that, you and I don't even have to be in the same space or we can be in the same space and we don't have to be in each other's, in each other's like, you know, our area. Like we'll go into the same room. We're doing the same thing. We're having our thing. We can see each other from across the, from across the room, a handshake or, you know, a high five in the air or whatever. And it's, it's good. We don't have to occupy each other's time. And, and that to me is a true friend. And when we don't talk for a while and then we do talk, it's not about why we didn't talk. It's just, we pick up where right. we left off. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have time for that kind of shit. And I, I've, I've had some friends like that, man, and where it's more work to, to 
to be their friend than actually just being their friend. Right. And I, I, I just, I can't do that, dude. It just jams me up. So. Well, listen, man, we're, we're right at an hour. And uh, I know you've got shit you've got to do. I've got shit I've got to do. I've got some grandchildren to go meet that I haven't met yet. Dude, so. so stoked for you. Twin grandkids, dude. Yeah, boy and a girl. So um, we can't post any pictures yet, of course. We've been we've been given the, that we're under, what, what did you say? You're all NDA'd up like last month, yeah, two months ago. NDA'd with the babies. Yeah, I'm in, I've got a non-disclosure agreement with my, my daughter and son-in-law that I can't post any pictures. But um, listen, man, I love you very, very much. And you know that. I and, I, too, and I love Maggie. Sure. Please give her a hug and a kiss for me. And I will see you as soon as I can. And all you need to do is tell me to make sure that that trailer's moved out of the way and you can plug into, uh, plug into this, uh, this pole I got out back for you. I'm a coming. All right, buddy. Love you. Take care. I love you too, man. Bye.